good morning. Um, we're just going to open up in the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Um, but before we begin reading, um, we'll just pray. So we'll gather together and we'll close our eyes and we'll pray to God. Dear Lord God, I just thank you so much, Lord, that you can gather us together, Lord, and we can read your word and just study it together and see what you have to show us. And Lord, I just pray that you will speak through me, Lord, that it won't be my ramblings, but it'll be your word that will speak into our hearts and minds, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, to see what you want us to see and to glean from this passage, Lord, what you want us to learn, that it will be something that we don't just learn and keep in our minds, that we're hearers of the word and not doers, but that we take it out and that we um, practically live out your word, Lord, as the week goes ahead with your strength and your power um, and you're enabling us, Lord. So I just pray that you'll really speak into our hearts, Lord, give us encouragement where we need encouragement. Just pray you'll challenge us, Lord, where we need challenge, Lord, and that you'll give us a real motivation and drive and um, spurring to go on and to serve you and to put you first in our lives, knowing that you give us the strength to put you first in our lives, Lord. Help us just to love you more and to fall more in love with you as we read your word again. Your name, amen. So it's Ruth chapter 2. Um, before I begin reading, I'll just go over what we talked about last week in Ruth chapter 1. So Ruth chapter 1, um, as we were saying last week, actually Ruth goes after judges and that at the end of Judges, we read that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's where Ruth begins. And I just loved actually the way last week we were looking at how this whole imagery of moving down, thought that was class, you know, just the way Elimelech was moving down geographically away from Bethlehem and into Moab. And yet, actually, um, this is a showing of a spiritual moving down as well. Um, symbolically, they were moving down in many ways because they were moving to Moab, which was a place that was um, cursed by God. It was a place that was enemies of Israel. And they were moving away from the people of God, the Israelites. And we can see a lot of moving down. There's a famine. They're moving to Moab. They, the choices that Elimelech makes are a moving down, in a sense. We saw the Moabite wives. That was also something that was forbidden, and, there, and, and yet Elimelech and Naomi's two sons take Moabite wives. We see that before that, Elimelech dies. We see that even once the two sons have two wives, um, one of which is Ruth, that they are childless for 10 years. We see that the sons then die. And now we're left with um, just Ruth, because the other... Um, Oprah leaves, she goes away, back to Moab again, and now we're just left with Ruth and Naomi, two childless widows, and it seems very depressing, and that's where we're left with. And Ruth is a Moabite, of all people. I mean, Moab was a place, like I just mentioned there, that was cursed by God, because um, how did Moab even begin? Well, who was Moab? Moab was the child of Lot, and... How was Moab born? Well, Moab was born due to an incestuous relationship between Lot and his older daughter. So, bad beginnings. And then we go on to say that Israel has been oppressed by Israel, or sorry, by Moab for 18 years, at least, we can see in Judges chapter 3. And then we also read in other parts of the Bible how um, Moabite women seduced Israelite men, and as a punishment, 24,000 Israelite men were killed. And then we see also that the Moabites, they sacrificed children. 
to their god Chemosh. And so because of all these things, there's a curse on Moab. And the Moab curse, there's quite a few curses, but one of which is that they cannot enter the assembly of God. Um, that's we find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and Nehemiah chapter 13. And so they're accursed from God. They're set apart. They, can't, they cannot come into the presence of God. And that's who we're looking at, Ruth. She seems to be in a very hopeless situation herself. And yet at the end of the chapter, in the end of chapter one, we do see a glimpse of hope. It's the time of the harvest, we read. And we see Ruth's devotion to God whenever she says that your God will be my God. And that gives us hope as well because we know that God receives repentant hearts. And we, re we read in Isaiah 56 that let no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. But it goes on to say, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And so we're given this real hope that even though Ruth is a Moabite woman, even though she's a foreigner out of the people of Israel, that she has joined herself to the Lord. And so we're looking in hope at the start of chapter two. And I just love this chapter because it's the chapter, of course, where Ruth meets Boaz, isn't it? This is the chapter where they meet for the first time. And that's amazing because we can see God's providence at work here because we know that Ruth and Moab end up becoming part of the line of the ancestry of Jesus Christ himself. And that's wonderful. And we can see God's providence in this chapter. And so whenever we're reading this chapter, I want us to look out for that, for God's providence and for how he provides for his people, how he protects his people. And we'll just start with verse one of Ruth chapter two. So it says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And already the stage has been set with hope. We can see in the first verse, Naomi has a relative. I mean, in the last chapter, Naomi said that she had no relative. So we can see here that the narrator, or the author is telling us that Naomi actually does have a relative. And this is significant because we can see in the end of the first chapter that the two things that Ruth and Naomi are in desperate need of is food and family. They have no food, they have no family. They're childless widows with no food and no hope, it seems. And yet here in the first verse, they're told that he, we do have family. That there's a man of standing or a worthy man, depending on what translation you're reading. Now, I think that's interesting, this worthy man or man of standing. What does that mean? Well, in the original Hebrew, it would mean that he was a man. It can mean a few things, that he's either a man of means um, or a man of influence or a man of integrity. So either he had a lot of financial gain or he had a lot of social influence or he was a very moral man. And we can see that no matter which angle we take, all are true of Boaz, that he was a financially wealthy man. He did have a good social standing, but also he was a godly man. And all these three parts are gonna be very important as we read on about Boaz and about Naomi and about Ruth. We read that he's of the clan of Elimelech, Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, who has now died, but he is the, of the clan of Elimelech, which is really important in those times because you had families, then you had clans, and then you had tribes, and the clans were the most important of the social family groups, um, which we'll see why later on. I'm not gonna give away too much, but that the fact that he's part of the clan of Elimelech is gonna be really important, and his name was Boaz. So now we've got this hope. We see that he's a worthy man, so we can see there's 
a hope of food because this guy's financial, he's got money and he's got um, influence and integrity. So perhaps he could provide food. And we can also see that there's a chance of family here as well because he's, he's of the clan of Elimelech, the two things that they need most. So the very first verse, the stage has been set and we're given this real encouragement, this real boost of hope. And then we go on to verse two. So Boaz has been mentioned, but Ruth and Naomi don't know about Boaz yet. Here we can see, we just read in verse two, and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And this is class because here's Ruth. She's waking up in the morning. And at the minute, as far as she sees, she's got no hope. But she's holding on to God and she stands up and she says, let me go. Isn't that really encouraging? Because in the face of seeming hopelessness, she is determined to show what she had said in chapter one when she said, your God will be my God. She's determined that this is not just going to be her words, but she will be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, that she will act out her promise and that she will go to the field. And why is this significant? Well, it's because she didn't know what to do. She woke up in the morning, wasn't too sure what to do, I'm sure. And yet, what can she do but follow God's word? And in God's word, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24 that God had actually provided this law that said that if you were a widow or if you were orphaned or if you had no food um, or no means of gaining anything, even if you were a foreigner, you could still go into the fields during the time of the harvest and whenever you had people who were harvesting and they were gleaning among the ears of grain, if they dropped any of the grain, that you were allowed to go behind them and pick it up. And God had made this law to say that if you were to drop the grain, you shouldn't turn around and pick it up, but that you should leave it for sojourners and for foreigners to collect after you. And this is God's way of providing for the poor and for the needy. And also they could collect from the edges of the field as well from the borders and the corners, any stalks of grain as well. So God had made this law way before time, or way before this time even, in Deuteronomy. God had made this law to provide for the needy, to provide for the poor, but also we can see his providence in this, I think, because we can see here that I believe whenever God wrote this law or made this law in Deuteronomy, that he also had Ruth in mind, even though she had not been born yet. And so we can see God's providence as he set this up in history for this moment. And so we can see God's provision and his providence. But then she says, let's go, and I'm gonna go and look for someone in whose sight I shall find favor. Now that's unlikely that she was gonna find favor because not only is she foreign, but she's a Moabite. And not only is she a Moabite, but she's a Moabite woman. And in those times, women weren't treated very well, and especially Moabite women who were seen as the seducers that we mentioned earlier on, these wicked people who were Moabites, were the enemies of Israel. And so Israelite men wouldn't even look upon Moabite women, never mind let them have their grain. And so she was hoping whenever she was getting up in the morning that someone else would also value the word of God enough to let her collect grain after them. And this was a big hope. But she, all she knew to do was to follow God's word was to put God first. Now she is a child of God. Now she has committed herself to putting God first in her life. And so she's gonna go out to the field and she's gonna look for grain because that's what God lost, God's law says she should do. So what does Naomi say? 
Does Naomi say, well, that's a pretty useless job. You shouldn't be doing that. Collecting bits of grain. I mean, we can do better for ourselves than that. No, she doesn't. She just says, go, my daughter. I'm sure that wasn't easy either because Naomi knew that in those times that there was every chance of her being molested or raped by going out into these fields. It's a bit like cash for cans. I don't know if you've heard of that before where people go along and they'll collect maybe aluminium cans um, in dumpsters and so on. And they'll collect enough cans that they can maybe gather into a big bag and try to um, obtain a bit of money for it. You don't really get very much, a couple of pennies, maybe 20p per can or whatever, uh, or per bag. So very, very little. And it's not a very nice thing to do, but it's something you would do if you're completely desperate. This is a desperate job. It's not like, oh, this is a nice wee job that Ruth's going out and collecting grain. This is showing that she is at her wit's end, but she is willing to put God first in all that she does. And that reminds me of the will of God, you see, because she's not um, just simply waiting for God to show in some kind of writing in the sky or some hand to point her as to what to do. She doesn't know what she should do. So she simply follows God's word and puts him first in her life. And that's a good reminder, I think, to us as well. We're not always going to know what God's will for us is in clear, bold writing. But we are to follow God's word. We are to put him first each and every day. And it's in the daily grind that God's will unfolds slowly in our lives. Very often, God's will is like a, a scroll that's unfolding day to day. It's not like a package that's hanging from a string in the sky. And we need to just simply put God first in our lives each and every day to be doers of his word, to follow him, to commit ourselves to him, to trust in him. And that's what Ruth is doing. She's trusting in God. So she set out in verse 3 and went and gleaned in the field. So again, she's not just saying that she's going to do it. She goes out and she does it. But we can see here that she actually does glean in the field. That gives us some hope as well. Because you're left in the end of verse 2 wondering, well, I wonder if she will find favour. But here she is actually gleaning in a field. So she must have found a field where she's able to gather grain. We're thinking to ourselves, well, that's pretty good. We go on in verse 3. She's gleaning in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, just, that's interesting, isn't it? She just so happened. I love the way the narrator's written this. She just happened. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says, the chance that chanced upon her is what it means in the original Hebrew. Just so happened, just as luck would have it. Isn't that amazing that the narrator's written that in this way because by writing that, we can see as we read it that this wasn't just per chance. This wasn't just as chance would chance upon her. This isn't just as luck would have it. This is God's divine providence. How could she just happen to come upon the field where Boaz was? He's part of the clan of Elimelech. This is God's providence at work. And Ruth wasn't following a, a big finger that was pointing her and saying, go to this field. No, she was simply following God's law. She was simply putting God first in her life. But God ordained it that she would end up in that field. That's just wonderful, I think. You know, you've maybe heard of the butterfly effect, you know, the chaos theory that says, you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings one side of the world, the other side of the world will create a hurricane or whatever. Talking about how, like, the tiniest things can make the biggest differences. But as much as that's just a theory, our times are in God's hands. 
we read in Psalm 31, that actually the smallest things can have the biggest differences because it is God who's in control. It's God who governs. It's God who is on the throne. Now you can see that Ruth doesn't know that at this stage. She doesn't, she's not thinking to herself, I'm meant to be in this field. She's just simply following God's law, simply putting him first. But God is governing, and so often we don't see God's hand. We don't see that he is guiding us or um, in control. Sometimes we can throw our arms up and think, where are you, God? But actually, God is altogether sovereign, and we can trust in that. And it helps us not to stress and panic and worry. I think so often we needlessly are anxious and stressful because we are putting the onus on ourselves and what I can do each day and how much I can achieve and whether or not I can um, perform well and work or whatever it might be. But this helps us not to stress because it's not on us. God is the one who's in control. He simply asks us to humbly trust in him and all that we do. So... Verse 4, it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Wow, like there's, there's a first bit of providence in verse 3. Next, Boaz, who we've already heard was a worthy man, or a man of standing, probably owned many, many fields, just happens to come from Bethlehem and go to the very field that Ruth is on. It's just amazing the way God works. And it says, And behold, as in like, would you believe it? You know, whenever um, I met Ellen for the first time, I remember it was after, or it was going to Sism, Valley Walter Sism, um, as a leader. And Ellen came along as a leader as well, of course. And she was arrived just, I was just sitting on the wall chatting with some guys, and then her car just turns up. And, you know, I, I, she comes from the car. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll help this girl, you know. I'll, I'll pick her bags up and, you know, brought them in. And... I didn't know actually that Ellen had been looking around the place for other sisms as well, um, closer to Balamina, but they were all very full and packed and oversubscribed and decided just to go to a random place by Walter where she'd never been before, you know, and yeah, and then she met me and that was great. <laughs> so, but it's funny because I didn't plan that, Ellen didn't plan that, but God is provident, God is in control of all things and we simply are to trust in him. We were just both trusting in him, going along to Sism, wanting to do as well. And God blessed us. I believe he blessed me, certainly, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But God is so provident. He's so in control. And that is, really gives me peace, knowing that, that we can go into each day and just trust in him. So Boaz comes from Bethlehem, verse 4. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's amazing too, because like I mentioned in verse 1, that he was a godly man. Well, here we can see it in the way that he just deals with his everyday life and how he speaks to his workers. I mean, if you want to see if someone's godly, look at how they act every day, how they speak to the people at work, how they speak to their family, how they treat each other. It's not how you perform on a Sunday. It's how you perform each and every day. Is it that you are giving your trust and your... Um, everything over to God or are you simply just trying to serve him out of your own strength are you godly at all you know we have to ask ourselves am I really trusting in God am I putting him first in my life in the everyday and here we can see that Boaz even just by the way he treats his workers is a man who is godly he says the Lord be with you 
be amazing if we could just greet each other that way all the time, wouldn't it? You know, normally I'd, if you're seeing someone, you'd be like, you know, hi, or, all right, something like that. But this is, the Lord be with you. This is how amazing that is. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So you can see that this is a real two-way relationship. This isn't just him saying that to be nice that day or whatever. These workers know that he's genuine. And they respond by saying, the Lord bless you. These are rough farmhands, but they're saying something that is so beautiful. They're saying, the Lord bless you. And I can see here that there's a spiritual awakening happening in Israel. This is what the narrator wants us to say as well, I believe. It's a time of the harvest. It's a time of hope. The famine's over. Food's back in the land again. And it's a spiritual awakening where the people are starting to come back to God. And we can see that in this conversation in verse 4. But we go on in verse 4. It says, Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers. So he said to one of the men who was in charge, he said, whose young woman is this? Um, interesting, isn't it, that he says, whose young woman? He doesn't just say, who is this? He says, whose young woman? In other words, what clan is she part of? And of course, he'll discover then that she's of no clan, that she needs family, that she's a widowed, childless woman. But he says, whose young woman? is this, and I, it's interesting that she catches his eye, again it's showing God's providence of all the women that were there, that he, his eye is caught by Ruth, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, interesting he said Moabite twice didn't he, he said she's the Moabite woman, she came from Moab, I'm kind of seeing that as stay away, trouble, she's from Moab, don't be don't be talking about her again. And so the servant is making sure that Boaz knows this woman's from Moab. We are Israelites. We don't associate with Moabites. But verse 7, the servant goes on to explain about Ruth and says that she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Isn't it amazing the way Ruth spoke whenever she came? She said, please let me glean. I think there's a lot to learn about that, um, especially in today's culture with so many rights and people, we just assume that we deserve certain things. She says, please let me. She's humble. And we can really see the humility in Ruth and the trust in God. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now. Again, she's a doer of the word and she's filled with industry as well we can see that she's she's a trusting woman trusting god is humble the way that she speaks but also that she's a woman of industry she's a hard worker she doesn't just um act lazily she wasn't lying in bed waiting for god's grace to come she was up and active and faith is a verb it's a doing word we are to be active in our faith and how we serve god not just waiting around for some miraculous sign to happen but God gives grace to the humble and to those who are serving him and who have faith in the way that they live. And so she's continuing from early morning until now, except for a very short rest. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. That's class as well, isn't it? Because we've just heard that she's from Moab. So we're wondering how Boaz is going to speak to Ruth. But he calls her my daughter. This reminds me, of course, of how God seeks the outcast as his family as well. He calls her my daughter, which is not something you would call 
a Moabite woman, if you're an Israelite man, especially a man of standing. And yet, God, who is so much greater than Boaz, seeks us his, as his family. And we were once foreigners. We were once sojourners, outcasts from the family of God, especially as Gentiles. And yet God has seeks us as his family, not because of any merit of our own, but because of God and for his glory, because of his love for us. And he says, do not go and glean, verse 8, in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Interesting that word keep close comes from the same word cling that is used in chapter 1 whenever Ruth was clinging to Naomi. It's also the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when we're talking about how a man will cling to his wife. But again, we can see God's provision in the sense that Ruth is now keeping close to these young women and able to gather grain, that she's not to go to, to another field where she may be attacked or molested, but she will, she will be protected and she'll be safe in Moab's, sorry, not Moab, in Boaz's field, that God is looking after her and protecting her, providing for her in his providence. In verse 9 we read, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Again, we see God's protection. And when you are thirsty, go to the field, the vessels, and drink what the young men have drawn. Again, we see God's provision in what Boaz is saying to Ruth. Boaz is saying that she should drink what the young men have drawn. And that's strange because that's a real role, role reversal. In those days, a Moabite woman wouldn't go to an Israelite man to drink what he has drawn. You know, normally the Israelite men would go to the foreigners and drink what they have drawn. But we can see here a reversal of the role because that's what Boaz has requested. And here you can imagine Ruth has heard all of this and she fell on her face bowing to the ground and she said to him, why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And in worship she falls on her face and again this reminds me of how we should act whenever we are given grace and goodness and the protection and the provision that comes from God that we should be falling on our faces. We don't deserve this. We should be humble and worship before God. And she says, Why? Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She's, she's saying, I don't deserve it. I'm a foreigner. I'm outside of the family of Israel. Why are you giving me such grace? And Boaz's answer is really important. It says, Boaz answered her. Now, does he answer her and say, because you deserve it, because you've worked hard for it, because it is merit? No, here's what he says in verse 11. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So he's noticed her trust in God and her humility by leaving her father and mother and by coming to a people that she doesn't know. That takes trust. That takes humility. And it reminds me as well that we too should leave sin and cling to God, that we should leave desires that we um, can put before God, but to desire God above all things, to cling to him, to run to him, to have him as our refuge, to seek 
a refuge in him. And in verse 12, Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. So Boaz is very quick to say to Ruth that actually this blessing that is being given to her is ultimately coming from God, not from Boaz. That Boaz is simply an instrument being used by God for Ruth's benefit. So he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and the full reward be given, given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, it's because she sheltered under the wings of God that she was receiving this blessing. It's not because of merit. It's not because of anything that she earned. It's because of her trust and humility in God. It's because she valued God above everything else, as was shown by her actions, that she truly put God first. And that, for me, is a real challenge. Do I fully trust in God? Am I humble enough to come before him and ask for his goodness? Do I value him above all things? Am I humble and not putting myself before God in the way that I act? Am I sheltering under his wings? This, I think, is maybe one of the most important verses in chapter 2, is that she is sheltering under the wings of God, that she is taking refuge under God's wings. That's why God has smiled upon her. God loves to show his goodness and grace to those who humbly fall before him to those who trust in him and put him first. And for me, that's a wonderful challenge because it reminds me that I'm not strong enough and I'm not meant to be. God is all powerful. He's all provident. We can trust in him. So then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So she knows again, it's not her merit, but that he has comforted her and spoken kindly to her, reminding us again that God is a God of all comfort and that it is his kindness to us that means that we have such grace and forgiveness. Verse 14, at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Again, God providing and that he serves the hungry at his table. See, I, I see Boaz here as a picture of God in many ways and his relationship to us, that God serves us at his table if we trust in him, that we can have fellowship with him. And it's amazing that she's able to eat all this bread, this ultimate provision that comes from God, but also have this cool wine in such a hot day when she's working and sweating away that she needed something like that to kind of give her a bit of comfort. And it reminds me that God restores our souls, that, he, that if we trust in him, that he looks after us. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that by trusting in God that we can get all the things we need because you might not get your promotion or you might not get the next best thing that you're looking for. In fact, you might go through plenty of suffering. But if we're trusting in God, if our shelter is in his wings, even throughout suffering, we can have the joy of knowing that God is along beside us, that he loves us, that he gives us the provision and the protection we need simply to serve him each day. Verse 15 then, we read, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Just adding on to all the protection and the provision, just piling it on top one after the other. So she gleaned in the field until evening, 
Then she beat out what she had gleaned. Again, we see the industry of Ruth working all the way to evening. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now, I was looking up what's an ephah, and I read one of the commentators said it's two-thirds of a bushel. I was like, oh, great, thanks. <laughs> but also I heard that it's 30 to 50 pounds, or three and a half stones, but the size of a person, basically. Very, very heavy. And that's what she took. And that was about, I mean, the average um, amount that someone, a sojourner like her, would have gathered was one or two pounds. She was gathering 30 to 50 pounds. In fact, someone who worked there, that would have been half of their month's wages. And she just gathers that in one day. And what an amazing God we serve. How in his providence he provides, he protects, and he pursues us for his glory and for our satisfaction in him. How much God has bestowed his grace upon us. How thankful we should be. Verse 18, she took it up and went to the city. Imagine the reaction of the people in the city, seeing a Moabite woman walking with half a month's wages, dragging behind her. Um, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Now imagine what Naomi's going to say. Naomi had changed her name to Mara, remember in chapter 1, which means bitterness. I wonder how she's going to feel whenever she sees Ruth arriving at the door with all of this. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. That reminds me too that we should tell each other of the grace that God gives us, shouldn't we? Of his forgiveness for us, of his love for us, of how he provides for us each and every day, how that he protects us. Ruth is showing that to Naomi. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? She just repeats herself there, doesn't she? She's so excited. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Blessed. It's amazing, isn't it? From bitterness to blessing. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. I love the way that's the last word. The man's name with whom I work today is, and the final word is Boaz. We know that whenever Ruth or Naomi hears that, she'll be able to make the distinction that Boaz is part of the family. And so we're waiting for that word to come out. And it's amazing because Naomi then says to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And this is now something that Ruth didn't know. Ruth didn't know that Boaz was part of the family. Ruth didn't know that he was a kinsman redeemer. And now they've both discovered that actually God's grace and goodness is far more than they ever imagined. First of all, he's a kinsman redeemer. We read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. But basically, it means that he's a relative, kinsman, and a redeemer. He had the right to purchase land off um, those who couldn't afford it or who had passed away in the, in the case of Elimelech. Elimelech had passed away, and there was no one to be able to pay for the land that they had. But it was, again, part of God's law in that time that you could redeem land off um, family if no one else could, could pay for it. And so Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who is able to buy land back. And that's why she says he's not forsaken the living or the dead. God's not forsaken the living, like Naomi and Ruth, or the dead, like Elimelech, who had lost this land after he died, um, or like Ruth's husband, Malon, because... We can also see that by him being a close relative, there's a chance, and I'm not going to go into it too much because it's going to be the next two chapters, 
that there's a chance of a Levite marriage, which we read about in Deuteronomy, that because he's part of the clan of Elimelech and part of the family, that he has the right to marry Ruth. But we'll be looking into that in more detail in the next two chapters. But it's basically showing God's amazing goodness that he has thought about this before time and that God is himself our kinsman redeemer. He came into the world to be a man just like us, therefore our kinsman. And he has come to redeem us. He is our great redeemer. He has come to purchase us, to bring us to himself by paying for what we couldn't pay for, our sin, and so bringing us before him in forgiven gratitude that we can have eternal life with him simply because he has paid the price we, could, we couldn't pay. He has become our kinsman redeemer. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, so what's more? He said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Not just for the day or two, it's until the whole harvest is finished. By that stage, you should have more than enough food for the year. The amount she's carrying home each day. And so, food, tick, God has answered that prayer. Verse 22, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. Now all of that was just one day, that whole verse 1 to 22. And it reminds me that we also should hold on. Ruth said, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with these women and stay in this field. We, we too should hold on to God and stay in his field. Don't go anywhere else. Don't reject God in any way. It is God who looks after us. I mean, at the start of this chapter, Ruth was working away in the field, not knowing of any of the blessing that she was going to receive. We need to trust in God, especially as we're going through suffering, that we know we should hold on to him and stay in his field. And then the, the final verse, so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. An interesting end of the chapter because it reminds us there's more to come. Food, God has answered that prayer. But family, well, she's still living with her mother-in-law. And so there's still more to come. And we'll see in the next few chapters. We've got this hope because we can see that Boaz is of the family or of the clan of Elimelech. But we're still to read more and see how God will unfold this part of what they need. Family as well. But it's amazing because... We can see as we look at all that, that God provides us with his grace and his favour. We can see God's sovereign providence. And whenever we look at Boaz, we can see that God is the greater Boaz. That God provides us with his grace and favour, just like Boaz provided Ruth. That God protects us with his power, just like Boaz protected Ruth. And that God pursues us with his love for his glory, just like Boaz was pursuing Ruth. And we can see in Boaz that God is the greater Boaz, that he does this for us, and that he was doing that for Ruth in chapter 2, as Boaz clearly pointed out, and so did Naomi. And so in response, what should we do? We should be like Ruth. We should seek refuge under his wings. We should trust in God in humility, humbly coming before him. And we, like Boaz, should serve God, we should then, having taken refuge in God's wings, go out and extend his love to others and tell of his grace to those around us. For that's true worship, 
So if we are true children of God, let's seek refuge first in him, in humility, trust in him, and then go out and serve him using the strength that God has given us to do so each day, hoping in him alone. So that's just the end of chapter 2. We can see there's more to come. But let's be devoted to God, especially if you are going through hard times and going through suffering. Because the Bible doesn't promise that we won't go through suffering. In fact, it tells us something very different. We are told that we will go through much suffering as Christians, but that we have a God that we can hold on to, who provides, who protects, who pursues us with his love for his glory. And we just are simply to trust in him each day, especially as we don't know what the next day is going to bring forward that in the everyday, God's will will be unraveled for our lives and that he simply asks us to hold on to him, to stay in his field. We'll just bow our heads and we'll pray. Dear Lord God, I just thank you for your love, Lord. I just thank you for um, your word and that how you show us in the book of Ruth that you are the greater Boaz and that you're the greater Ruth and that you, that you want us, Lord, to seek you, that you have looked upon us, the outcast, and you have brought us to yourself as your family, and that you want us to be sheltered under your wings. So I just pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, to trust in you, to put you first in all that we do, and humbly walk before you, knowing that you give us the strength and the grace to serve you each and every day. In your name, amen. Thank you.